Welcome to the Bruce.com podcast with Sa Twining. <laughs> That's my new favorite thing ever. <laughs> That's my friend Sekovi. That's uh, that's that's a reason to do a podcast right there, just to include him. Um, so I'm going to take you into a, a chat I had with Bruce yesterday. Um, he gave us uh, a few surprises. Uh, we gave him one right at the start as well, uh, which I'll take you into right now. Um, there's rather a crude editing job in the middle where you'll hear some more from Sokovi again, uh, where I had to cut out where we went on. A little bit of a tangent. Uh, and then at the end, Bruce leaves us with a contest where you can win four tickets to a Bruce Hornsby show. I'll give you a little hint. It would be helpful to have kids uh, to be able to enter this contest, but I will leave that to you. I'll work out um, an, edit, an end date for the contest and uh, four tickets could be yours. So... Here we go. This is me and Bruce in January 2015. Hope you enjoy it. <laughs> I have to tell you, first of all, um, I don't know if you know about this already. I was watching uh, the Cartoon Network the other day. Uh, don't ask me why. Uh, Looney Tunes or whatever was on. And uh, here's Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny start talking about the music of Bruce Hornsby. Do you know about this? Oh, come on. You're kidding. No, I'm not. Oh, it's, that's crazy! I've never heard about that. It's uh, it's uh, it was one of the new ones, obviously. Um, yeah. No, Daffy oh. Daffy had uh, choked on a pizza or something, and this life changing experience. Uh, he decided he was going to learn the piano, and he was going to fill the world with the music of Rachmaninoff, Beethoven, and most especially Bruce Hornsby. He clasped his clasped his hands adoringly as he said this. So uh, that's that's, just, that's a scream. Uh, that's so that's g hilarious to hear, and I I hope I can somehow find a way to see it. I I don't ever watch the Cartoon Network, but I well, nor I, do I, I normally. I had to do a triple take when I heard that one, but uh, <laughs> that's right. That's very good. It must be. Uh, I imagine YouTube will will have it by now or something. I'll uh, I'll yeah, look who, it up. Who, who thought you'd be googling? on YouTube, Daffy Duck, Bruce Horns. <laughs> I don't know, but evidently he's a I'd fan. Like anyway. fair, pairing. What's that? Evidently he's a fan. So I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, a, well, that's a good way to start. It gets, that's that's a, an unlikely pairing, no doubt. I guess so. Well, I'll, I'll dig out a link for you if I can find one. Well, when we last spoke, uh, I think solo concerts was about to come out. I still say that that's the greatest Kind of embodiment of your work, even more so than intersections, probably. Um, it's it's a perfect summary in, on two CDs of what you're all about. But well, it's quite possibly that's true. I, it's funny. I feel like these the, the, these last three live records that I've made, starting with 2011. If uh, I, I really feel like if someone wants to know what I sound like now in the, the, the sort of the, in the totality stylistically of what mm. I do, Bride of the Noisemakers, Skaggs, Hornsby, Cluckhole Hen, and solo concerts, you know, they're, they're all so different from each other, but they, I think they really comprise uh, sort of the, the, like I said, the sum of what I do, the total of what I do. And uh, so I really feel proud of all three of them. It's, it's too bad that 
Now, I guess I can point to studio records that, that, that I'm very proud of, too, but it's just as far as if someone wants to know what I sound like now and how I sound different from, say, just even 2006 intersections, then these are good uh, documents of that to me. Yeah, so, so you, uh, you said in the liner notes, I think, that um, it's all about the pursuit of the unattainable. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, that's absolutely true in my case. That's a, that's a humble statement, but that's that's... It's absolutely true. I beat my head constantly against the the wall of ineptitude, trying to bang it down. And uh, sometimes I get there. I, I really felt good about this the small solo con- solo tour that I did, uh, supporting the solo conscious record. We can get in, get into that later. Uh, mm. uh, but but yes, uh, the solo concerts thing. I think. Look, I always already feel like I do some of it better than I did then, but and that was because it was finished about a year ago. But that's what hopefully happens. As I always say, I'm a lifelong student, and I'm always trying to improve. And I'm I'm willing to put myself through the the drudgery and and emotional pain of listening to myself, <laughs> listening to these concerts that I play, and going, oh come on, man, you know you you could do better than that. Get it together. So it's just a never-ending pursuit like us yeah, of the unattainable that's really why i say that so if if you compare this to i think you just compared it to 2006 with intersection so back in 2006 could you ever have heard yourself playing at this level was was this the unattainable back then well i guess that you could say that's a good question a good way of putting it uh i think it's it's interesting you say 2006 because a lot of this music that I'm dealing with and, and, and the music that has influenced a lot of my songwriting in the past several years, I've always been in, interested in modern classical music, but it really, I really got deeply involved, oddly enough, when I signed with Sony Records, Columbia Records, Sony, mm-hmm. in 2003 to put out uh, Halcyon Days, and then the subsequent records that came out on Sony Legacy, oh, I guess that would be Intersections and the first Skaggs Hornsby record, um, Oh, there was another. Oh, yeah, uh, uh, Camp Meeting, I mm. believe, came out on Sony. Uh, and see, I think I've mentioned this to you before, but maybe not. When you sign with Sony or Columbia, one great perk as an artist on that on that label, on those labels, is that you can raid their their, their catalog, and they have the most amazing, one of the most amazing catalogs that any label could have. And so I ordered 176 CDs, and about a good half of what I ordered. Was classical was modern classical music, and I was I was getting Boulez and Carter and uh, Messiaen and uh, Webern. Boulez conducts the the, the uh, complete Webern, on and on. Glenn Gould plays uh, Schoenberg's piano, uh, suite for piano and the Schoenberg Concerto. And so I started. I'd always been interested in this music, but I got really in, deeply involved. I guess starting about 2004, maybe 2005. But 2004 was a busy year with the Halcyon Days record coming out and us touring pretty extensively on it all the way through the end of that year and maybe a little into the next year. So probably about 2005, I really started delving into this music and buying this some of the music that I, I loved and trying in my slow, painstaking way, trying to 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 learn it and then having that harmonic language influence a lot of the sick bastard music, uh, which subsequently, of course, came out on Levitate, and and uh, the music that's come since Levitate that is not on really any records until now. Solo concerts, I guess, two or three or four of them are mm. on that. Uh, so, uh, yes. Yeah, so I guess I would say I in 2006 say, you know, for instance, 
it, it, I, I knew what I wanted to play. I, I was, I'd gotten into the Carter and all this other music that I was just mentioning, but it takes you a long time to, at least it takes me a long time to really get, get it close to under my fingers. And so, uh, yeah, I guess it's, I'm not, as I'm, I'm not considering that, I guess, yeah, that's true. That's part of the unattainable because I may never play the piece Cat and Airs in the way mm-hmm. I, you know the way I've I've heard other great classical virtues virtuosos play it. That's very possible, but at least I'm trying. That's sure. And like you, you said I think in the liner notes also that you, it's I think you called it demanding to listen to. Um, <laughs> oh, I, was, I think I was referring to where no one's mad, which is yes, one of the right. more recent uh, uh, musical songs that is. It really influenced by these people, uh, Ligeti, the great uh, Ligeti etudes that I just love. I played, yeah, you know, I played one of them. I love the beautiful Arc en Ciel, uh, Rainbow. That's what that means. Uh, in front of Here We Are Again on the solo conscious record, and mm. was influenced part of the, some of the movement, some of the the uh, sections in Where No One's Met come from. Uh, uh, Catanaires, parts of Catanaires, and parts of the uh, the etudes. So yes, it, I, I understand it's demand to listen to, uh, but I've got another side of what I'm doing now that's not so demanding to listen to, and that's the no, no, new noisemakers record we're making. But that's, so that's we can get to that later. You you have questions? So you <laughs> okay, well certainly we'll get to that. But I, I I think I said at the time I said to plenty of people demanding it maybe, but it brings its own rewards with it because I wouldn't have heard. Um, I've gone out and bought some modern classical stuff now that I wouldn't have I wouldn't have heard before. But I think that's been uh, a theme of of your music right the way through. That there are people who you've collaborated with or um, you've worked with that I wouldn't, especially in the UK, I wouldn't necessarily have heard of before. I don't know that I would yeah. have heard of. Chris Thiele. I don't know that I would have heard of. Well, perfect example. Next week, I'm going to go and see Ruth Moody. Um, who... Oh, Ruth Moody. Oh, yeah. Well, give her my love. I love Ruth, and she sang on the Jackson Brown tribute song that I did. I'm alive. That that came out this year. Um, oh, yeah, you you tipped me off to her. I hadn't heard of her. I didn't know her. I didn't know the the Wailing Jennies. I, oh, I knew, they're incredible. I knew of them, but hadn't yes, heard I them. Love, I love the Wailing Jennies. I didn't really know of them myself until maybe uh, it's probably been five or six years ago now. Maybe. Maybe even seven. We played a gig in Vancouver, hmm. and uh, and we it was in some small arena, and the it was it was a private gig, and the Waylon Jennings were our opening act. Hmm. And oh man, I heard them from the side of the stage, and I said, well, when they came up, I said, hey, you guys want to sing with us? Just come in and just wing it. If you if you know any of my songs, just just come out and start singing with me. Great. Which of course people aren't used to that sort of looseness and sort of willingness to be terrible in the moment in the name of spontaneity, you know, in the name of no rehearsal. Right. But they came out and did a great job. They sang on End of the Innocence and maybe something else. And I would, and they gave me their records, and I was just floored by them. So it mm. worked out so great. Ruth Moody was coming here to play at the Williamsburg Lodge um, in their sort of lounge, oddly enough, with her, with her great group. Mm. So I heard she was coming, and that, that, this place is about – a mile and a half, two miles from where I live, straight back in the woods from there, is, is the uh, is the road that the, the sick bastard drives on. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, anyway, I called up Ruth, and she came over and, and did such a great job on that record for me. Great. I, I hope to work with them again, I, all of them. Well, t- 2014 was 
maybe the busiest I've ever known you, actually. You've had the the Pat Metheny shows, you had the Ricky Skaggs shows, the solo shows you mentioned, the, the Noisemakers, the, uh, yourself, you, I guess you call them the duet shows, Yourself and Sonny. Um, and straight into 2015, you straight into Miami for some shows with uh, Michael Tilson Thomas and the New World Symphony. Yeah, it's all it's all it's all special. And, and you didn't mention the Spike music that I did of last course. year, the the, the 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 Sweet Blood of Jesus, the movie this movie I scored for him last year, is finally coming out. And uh, I think it's coming out in February. So yeah, right. we can go sort of chronological about this year. Uh, and uh, so the, the, the sort of events almost every month. The the, the event in January is to, these two two concerts. January 30th and 31st in uh, in South Beach, South Miami Beach, at the beautiful Frank Gehry designed New World Symphony building, where where outdoors you can come for free and sit out on the on a lawn and watch the concert, oh, nice. screened on the wall. They call it the wall cast, and the sound is really great. So if someone wanted to experience two different experiences, they could come one night and see it in, inside and. Come the next night and see it for free outside. Uh, what Michael Tilson Thomas has put together at the New World Symphony is totally unique and special. I think it's starting to be copied around, uh, uh, copied in, in other places. But uh, he's just a visionary, uh, visionary uh, sort of superstar of classical music. And I met him, interestingly enough, I met him at a Phil Lesh gig that Phil put together maybe in the early aughts, maybe 2000, 2001. It was called the Philharmonia, and it was a Christmas time gig. Edie Brickell was on it, and a bunch of people. Uh, Michael Tilson Thomas was on it, and he and I really connected backstage in the hours before, between, say, sound between rehearsal and and the concert. Hmm. And uh, we had a great time talking about two-handed independence, and I was showing him some things that I was working on, and he said, oh, I'll try this, and we'll see if he can do this. And, and of course, I couldn't, so he was, <laughs> I, I laughed. I said, okay, there's a good challenge for me. So, you know, the, you hang out with the guys like Michael Tilson Thomas, and you will always be in pursuit of the unattainable. Yeah, of course. Because, you know, he deals on, uh, in music on a very, extremely high level. So uh, he's he, he's... He expressed an interest in my music, and uh, I sent him, several years later, I sent him Intersections, and he sent me this beautiful letter back saying how much it meant to him, how much he loved it, and uh, he said, to, if you'd like to to collaborate sometime, let me know. And so that was right around the time I was starting to write this music, songs like Paperboy and, oh, uh, oh, come on, um, I, I, I think of the, the earlier bastard music that was a little bit uh, harmonically adventurous. Anyway, obviously where no one's mad, and, and Neighborhood Watch was one. Anyway, uh, I, when I I'd amassed about I say ten of these songs, of course the, the, the Robert Hunter song, where, uh, Might As Well Be Me, mm. I, 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 I'd written about ten of them, and I sent them to him last year. And we got together in Miami when I was down there a few months later, and we cooked up this concert. I'm, I'm part of the New Works concert series. Of these two nights uh, feature three different artists, two composers, classical composers, and their new work. And I'm, I'm I close the first set with four songs of mine, three songs from the musical, and another song that no one's heard. And it's right. called it's called Shit's Crazy Out Here. Oh, nice! <laughs> <laughs> first time I ever cussed in a title, or maybe even a song. It, 
it's it's it comes from uh, the Darwinian scene of AAU basketball. It's, it's okay. By, by my son Keith. So uh, yeah, that's uh, that should be great fun. Sonny's on the concert. So and, and, oh. Uh, so it's uh, it's the duo plus the orchestra. The orchestra is made up of uh, of uh, younger musicians, generally post post college graduates who are sort of between their their school years and their hoped for symphony orchestra mm. gig that they're hoping to get, and it's sort of a, a training ground, uh, proving ground for these uh, younger musicians to sort of learn the ropes. And if there's anyone who's totally qualified to teach them that, it's Michael, so uh, or, or MTT as he calls as he's called. So okay. yeah, that's exciting, and that's uh, so that's this month. Then uh, February. The, the Spike movie comes out, Sweet Beloved Jesus. Uh, I've scored it last year. And it's funny, I, I, was, I had a bunch of clarinet music on, on the score, and I was going to call Bobby Reed in to do it. Uh, mm. and, and I really wanted to because I, I, want, I, I love Bobby's playing and I wanted to work with him. But Spike said, hey, I get a tax break if I, work in, if I do the score in New York and use New York musicians. <laughs> So we have to do it up here, you know, because it's a low-budget film, it was right. a Kickstarter, Kickstarter-funded movie, and uh, oh. and uh, so, so well, yes, okay, I got to do that. And a young friend of mine, you ever heard of Dave Roitstein, my old college cohort who played with the Range for a minute? He's he's actually he actually plays on the original Bruce Hornsby and the Range, a Night of the Town video. Have you ever seen it? The one with Garcia and Sean Colvin and Joe Henderson and Bela Fleck. Oh yeah, yeah, I have seen yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it's it's a fun video, uh, especially the Jerry footage is quite it's quite a scream. Uh, mm. And uh, my friend Dave JT was getting ready to join the band. This is 1990, okay, 24 years ago. JT was working with Henley, and that's how I met him. I met him at right at the, at the Grammys when Henley and I were up for End of the Innocence, and he offered his services, or maybe I'd heard about him and asked him, but I didn't know what a killer player he was. Mm. Uh, I just knew him. He, he he was just Don Henley's keyboard tech at the time. Right, and uh, uh, I, I think it's quite possible that he was a better keyboard player than the guys who were playing for Henley, but I'm not sure he had quite the look. It was more of a, it was more of a showbiz angle about that band. Okay. So, so they hired some other guys, and he was the tech. Anyway, he couldn't start till July. So Dave, my old Miami uh, school friend, a fantastic musician, uh, he filled in. He actually did a couple of the great. He did a couple of uh, opening for the Grateful Dead shows in, 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 oh. in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, Carter Finley Stadium in Raleigh, North Carolina. <clears throat> and uh, so he, I think, he had a pretty good, pretty enjoyable experience with us. Mm. But now, so all these years later, I hired Dave's son to put together. He's Dave's son is a great bass, upright bass player. He went to Juilliard, and uh, so I said, "Well, Andrew Roitstein, he's got to know the good players." So we hooked me up with a great string quintet plus a great clarinet player, and that's we we recorded that in New York. And and Vernon Reed also plays. Vernon Reed, the great guitar player from Living Color, yes. he came in and played some great guitar on this score. So it was we had a great experience uh, doing that. And actually, also, well, there's so much going on. I'm just moving around, but there's so much to talk about. Uh, in this year's World Series, the, the Baseball World Series. Uh, the Royals Giants, I think it was. Uh, there was a a commercial that Spike uh, 
Spike uh, produced featuring the Little League World Series female pitching phenom Monet Davis, and they used some of it. Spike used my music uh, that I some of the music that that I had done for the film. So uh, oh. that was that was fun to make it onto the World Series. So the, the the Spike and Bruce show continues. Uh, anyway. Even- it, it, What's that? what's that? Go ahead. I was gonna say even I've heard of Monet Davis. She's uh, she's she's her name made it over here too. Okay, but, I, I, that's interesting. Okay, she she uh, transcended she she transcended uh, she crossed the ocean. Anyway, okay. uh, so that that comes out I think in February. I think Spike sold it in the fall, and it's I think it's coming out in February. Uh, March is uh, no, there's nothing on the books, and there won't be probably. We'll just be watching our boys. Uh, Play their games and run their run their their mm. and uh, then April. You're on the road. Yeah, April's serious solo concert tour, and uh, featuring a couple of concerts in Santa Monica, and uh, a bunch of Midwestern shows, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure a couple of uh, West Coast or, or not not West Coast but the Western dates. Say I think Prescott, Arizona is in there. Um, so oh yeah, Berkeley, California. Mm. Maybe we'll have some special guests on that show. You never know. It's very possible. Nice. Uh, so that's that's April, May. The Noisemakers uh, gear up. I think right toward the latter state, latter part of May, we do a tour, and uh, with a couple of great, uh, at least one great uh, festival. But I can't I can't announce these because they haven't been announced sure. by the festival. So I just it's sure. so wrong for to, for, to do that. But uh, we're we're on the books for some of these great festivals. And another great festival uh, in July that we played a couple of years ago. We're 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 up for that. We're on to the, on for that one too. So the Noisemakers should be should be touring in May and then in June and then in July and maybe in August too. Oh wow! So the whole four months of touring then. Yeah. Well, yeah. Parts of the months. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, the, the whole month of April for the for the solo thing. That's I think that pretty much takes up the, most of the month. Although I'm hoping to be able to see some of Russell's track meets then mm. and around that, uh, and uh, and then in first half of May I'll be seeing that, and then uh, the end of the latter part of May with the Noisemakers. So yeah, it's a never ends. Side keeps on rolling along. And you mentioned a Noisemakers record as well. Is that for this year or something? Yeah, that will be. I think that since I just put out solo concerts uh, mm. in September or so, whenever it came out, uh, August, September, I think we're probably going to uh, put out this uh, Noisemakers record in, uh, for, in in early 16. Right. And then tour a lot around that. Um, the guys have been uh, in, in that spring, summer and maybe fall too, because uh, the guys have been very patient with me. I've always had these other, I've always had so many things going on with the Skaggs Hornsby and the solo concerts and this past year with the Pat and, Pat and Bruce tour. Mm. And uh, sometimes, and then this, for instance, this orchestral concert, there's always these new areas to mine, and and I'm interested in all of that. But at the same time, I, I, think, I think really my favorite thing that I do is playing with, my longtime band, and so yeah. that's uh, it'll be great to to have a, a record of new material. Is this and, the dulcimer record? Yeah, I think yeah, you mentioned. Yeah, this is the dulcimer record. Yeah, there's not a lick of piano on this, and right. and nobody who's heard it misses that at all. Uh, <laughs> they, sort of casual friends of mine who have come over and they go, I tell them, well, there's no piano on this. They 
look at me like I'm crazy. Oh my God, you're kidding. You <laughs> You've know, done it wow. before. <laughs> How can that be? Well, I, I certainly have done it before, yeah, <laughs> with Big Swing Face. Your favorite, uh, or is. at least one of your favorites. And uh, so, but then when I played them the music, they never, it, it doesn't, it doesn't enter their mind again. It doesn't even mm. come up. They just go, wow. And uh, so I'm very, very, I'm very excited about it. I'm going to go out later today and listen to the sort of the latest version that Daigle and I put together and see if it's it all recorded then. Or it, yeah, we we recorded it. The, the noise the noisemakers band, the new noisemakers band, came mm. to the studio on uh, the first part of September mm. for just three and a half days. Now, we had a couple of these songs, uh, M-I-A-M-I, uh, Missing in Action in Miami, that song, and uh, Tipping, two songs we've been playing. We played on our June tour, so, yeah. and we recorded every one of them. So basically put together, I had a couple of really good takes that I've, that I've taken from those tours, and then we just replaced some things that, that, that sounded bad or just weren't, weren't well performed and, and uh, did it that way, and then the rest of them we recorded in the studio, and you may have seen on our Facebook page that I that Mavis Staples sings. Mavis Staples, yeah. So that's just quite that's really exciting. I went to Chicago and recorded her last month, and uh, actually the best pictures of Mavis and me uh, were not used. The ones where I'm doing my usual trying to look terrible in every picture, and she <laughs> does it, and she does it too, and it's just fantastic. <laughs> She wasn't. She wasn't quite ready for that to be out, out uh, there for all to see. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious but, how she fits into your music on on a Dosma record because she. What what was she doing on 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 the record? Well, here's the here, here's the history. It's very it's it's a it's a very clear story. Uh, it's uh, the the song we recorded is a song that I wrote in about 1992 93. And oh. okay, I said it's called it's called the Celestial Railroad. It's a it's pretty much a gospel song, and of course right. you I'm sure you know that's what she does. That's what yeah. she's one of the all all time greats. That's what I was trying to marry up was a gospel yeah, singer it, with it, a it, dulcimer. Well, so okay, so I wrote this song then, and I put a little demo of it, and I sent it to the Staples staple singers through Bonnie Raitt, who is a, of course mm. a long time uh, great friend and collaborator with Mavis, uh, uh, and. Uh, so Bonnie called me back and said, hey, they're gonna, they want to do it. They really like it. So I said, that's fantastic because, you know, Pop Staples was still around at the time. And, and uh, so then I, I, was, I was opening for Bonnie in 94 and uh, for five months. We played at Poplar Creek in Chicago, and Mavis came out to the gig. And I'm standing there, and all of a sudden Mavis Staples walks up and starts singing the song to, to me. <laughs> I said, oh, fantastic. Hi, nice to meet you. And <laughs> and, she, and, and but they never did do it. And she told me when I was with her last month, she said, "You know what, Pops just never felt like he had." She said, "She said I thought Pops sang 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 it fantastic in a, in a great way, but uh, but he never felt like he was doing it as well as he needed to be doing it. And so we never recorded it. So I thought, uh, but, but anyway, I I knew that they didn't get around to doing it. So I reached out to her through Mark Allen, who knows her. And uh, and uh, and said, "Hey, would you like to do Celestial Railroad with me?" And she got back, said, "Yes, I'd love to." So that right. was easy because she rem she remembered it really well. 
<laughs> so that was 22 years later. Mm. And uh, so that's so it's very it was as simple as that. It, it just came from that that old uh, the first salvo that I made that didn't quite end up going anywhere, but uh, she she had a long memory for it, and uh, so that's what so we did. So it was originally I wrote it on piano, but it's a very simple song. It could be played anyway, and I saw it. it was, Simple enough for for my sorry ass to play it on the dulcimer, <laughs> and uh, so so we cut it we we cut it with the with the guys in September, early September here at uh, Tossington Sound, and uh, <laughs> so that's so, uh, anyway we don't have to get into that. <laughs> she just had her seventy five years show, didn't she? Which uh, Sonny was actually Sonny and and Marinelli were both uh, on the house band, weren't they? Yeah, I, I was supposed to be on that, but something else came up and I needed to do that, so so I couldn't mm. do the gig. But I was supposed to be there, but that's right, exactly right. Uh, the whole crowd, I guess, is a big fan of our band, and so they love Sonny, and so they asked him to do that. So and and then George too, which came from the Bonnie connection, I'm sure. Yeah. So that's great. They had a great uh, George and Sonny called me, phone pranking me. Right. <laughs> I don't doubt. <laughs> <laughs> I know George. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, it's, he has, he doesn't change. No, so, I bet. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's the Mavis thing. So that's exciting, and I'm hoping to have a couple more special guests on the record, uh, and, and I might try to write one more song for it. So I've got some time to get it together, but I I, I feel that it'll, it's going to be a record that's going to be uh, well liked. Great. So, so I'm curious. You've you've got songs that you wrote ninety two twenty. 20 Three years well, ago, just that one song. Everything else is well. Just that one song, and right now I'm I'm, I'm including the the Dulcimer version of Valley Road, which I love. You know, it's oh. become a it's become a real favorite uh, at our shows. You know, it just gets such great response, and uh, so I'm including that. It's possible that I would replace that with a new one if I if I wrote a new one that I thought was as good, and that's probably hard to do, but uh, hard to achieve. But uh, so I've got a. I've got, I guess, six or eight months to write that song, and I'm staring at a lyric sheet that I'm working on now. But yeah, otherwise, it's there are eight new songs, the old gospel song that's new in the sense that it's never been recorded, mm. and and that that makes up what we have so far. So what what I was going to ask you is, does much get cut? Do you write kind of twenty songs and publish ten, or do you publish all that you write with, with maybe saving one or two, or Oh, yeah, you never know at the end, until the record's done. Until you feel like, well, okay, here's a here's a cutoff point. Here's where this is it's going to be what it's going to be, and right. is this good enough to make it? And some things make it, and some things don't. So, right now, I think that all ten things we have will. I I, I feel that I'd, I I guess I could say it like this: if I had to put out the record in the next four months and so finish it right now, I would. I think I'd be very satisfied with what I have now. Mm. Uh, in what we've recorded, and the performances are good, and uh, and and most importantly, the songs, the songs and the performances. And most of your work, of course, is done at home, as you said. Your uh, your recording studio is at your house, so that that's the best working environment in the world, isn't it? So you can do you record something when you hear it in your head, or what? What's the process? Do you wait for the band yeah, to? I, come? I, yeah, it's it, it. I just wrote. I I, I I had a big epiphanal songwriting month back in May, middle May to mid June of last 
of, this, of 2014 where I wrote four songs. Right. Uh, three, three with my friend uh, Chip DiMatteo and one by myself. And uh, so two of those we played live. One of them we worked it. We started working it up in sound checks, but we never got to the point where we could play it live. It's a song called Over the Rise. It's the one I wrote myself, and it's really a special song on this record to me and to everyone who hears it. Uh, sort of has a little bit of an English John Barleycorn feeling to it. Oh, really? Yeah, I feel it does, and not that it's not not that anyone say, oh, what a it, what a ripoff. Not at all, not even close. But it just has a certain feeling about it that uh, I feel that, and other people, like my brother Bobby Hornsby, feel mm. see. He said this, oh, this has sort of a, a traffic English folk feeling to it. Uh, okay. Which is fun. But then we have we have a song that's just straight country. It's just country as hell. It's called Rehab Reunion. Okay. And written with my great uh, kindergarten cohort, and uh, so that yeah. so it's it, it's a broad range stylistically. We have some things that are, are actually fairly rock on it, where Sonny's playing big drums. So it's not all it's not all dulcimer washboard music. Right. And and uh, then we have this gospel song, which is real kind of funky gospel. So it's uh, it, it's very much of a piece. And it sound it all hangs together real well, but it's not real samey stylistically at all. Right, I, I feel like when I hear these new songs, um, in particular uh, "Life in the Psychotropics," and and I think, <laughs> yeah. I think that was written for a live show. I remember in the past when Big Swing Face came out and listening to, uh, I think it was "Place Under the Sun," and saying that was written for an extended like five minute intro to a show, and, and sure enough, it was. Are they, are they written for do you write with that scenario in mind for for playing a song live or do you arrange it so that it can be extended or do you do you, are you just writing solely for the record i just write to move myself right. <laughs> i just write i just try to give myself chills sure. and that's hard to do and now and then i can do it now lots of songs that are, that aren't meant to be chill songs like say rehab reunion uh, which is kind of it's just kind of a comical song, as you can imagine, knowing yeah. that Matty wrote it. Uh, <laughs> it, it that's, that's a different aim. That's, I guess it's sort of like, what the hell happened to me? I'm a, wasn't trying to give myself chills on that one. It's just, <laughs> right. just a, uh, or, or frankly, most of Big Swing Face hmm. was not was not about that. Although uh, uh, this too shall pass is the ballad that sort of. The, Hopefully the chill moment there as a song, not necessarily the record we made of that, but the song itself, uh, as as heard on say Bride of the Noisemakers. Mm. I've seen people break down in tears at this two shall pass. At a yeah, show. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. more in the show than the record where we had this crazy double time loop that really it was a is a regret of mine. <laughs> I was talked into it anyway. I think like in the psychotropics. Would have been a fine song on Big Swing Face, for instance. Mm. It is just sort of stylistically, lyrically, uh, and uh, but and so anyway, yeah, I I, I I I could definitely hear that. But no, no, I, I don't write. I don't write for live. Look, I don't write that many ballads. I guess so. Maybe subconsciously, I have an an ear to whether this will work in a live performance. Uh, it's always a bit of a regret of mine that some of my best songs, we don't play that much. Uh, Halcyon Days, Lost Soul, you know, because they're real slow. 
Yeah. I had a great time in 2013 playing Halcyon Days with uh, with uh, some guys from the guys from Railroad Earth. Right. You know, it was uh, that was special to me. Todd, there's a lead singer, sang it, and uh, and uh, just that was that was a great moment every time we did it. So, uh, uh, but I don't tend to write so many ballads. Like Continents Drift is a song. It's one of my mm-hmm. favorites. One of my, I'm really proud of it. But I hardly ever play it. I need to play it more. I was always telling myself that, and I need to do it. So, so sorry for people who get <laughs> mad at me. But for for the for the set list uh, fanatics, they should have liked my solo tour in 2000 in 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 the uh, September, October, November of 14. Because I played almost eighty different songs, really. In, in yeah, in eighty almost eighty different songs over the course of those say fourteen, fifteen concerts. I was digging deep in the repertoire, uh, deep cuts, uh, old and new, and, and covers too. So you you talked um, again. I think last time we spoke about a, a, an essential collection coming out. Um, yes, I, and I'm not sure what's up with that lately. I, I put it, I put it together, and uh, it's all about Sony when they want to put it together. But I haven't heard anything about it. That's I, <laughs> you reminding me of. It's the first I've thought about it in, in three or four <laughs> months. Uh, so I, I don't imagine that would come out uh, this year because I haven't heard about it. But you never know. They could call up tomorrow and say, "Hey, uh, we want to put this out in June." So you just never know. Was that their picks or your picks? Of the no, essential? it's my picks. No, that is my picks. Who knows? Maybe they got quiet when they got my picks. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so studio records or uh, live performances were they? Both, both. Just to, to me, the best of. Uh, for instance, Halcyon Days is on there. There's studio cut because I just think it's. Uh, I think it's. I just really think we made a good record there on that one with Sting, and I don't always feel that way about what we do, but. I, it just it just holds up really well. The Clapton solos, I think, like the vocals. I think it's a just a nice production. It just works for me, and so that's a, sort of an unlikely one. Uh, a live Lost Soul. Speaking of that one again, uh, is on there mm. with Colvin. Sort of an updated version of the one from the Intersections, because mm. I love that. And uh, there's, there's several live. My my picks uh, include fully five or six songs from Bride of the Noisemakers because I just think they hold right. up. The, the Country Doctor, for instance, on Bride is is one of my picks for, yeah. uh, for, the, uh, uh, the, for the, the essentials. So as, as, you go, as you went back looking through and, and, and making your picks, were, were you, you said you played 70 or 80 in, on, on the recent solo tour so were you looking back through them looking for ones that you could pull out again that you could that you haven't played for a while that Lost Souls no, one of them or no but but for instance I started playing the song from the Spike Lee movie Bamboozle the song Shadowland right and because I, I and that came back into my consciousness because I was going through the old records and not just our studio records or live records uh, special projects that I was a part of like different Spike movies and and I heard Shadowland, and and I went, oh, I felt the same way about that as I felt about Halcyon Days when I heard it. I said, man, this is this is just better than I thought it was. You know, it holds up so much for me, mm. and and so so clearly that was in my head, and and it, and then I was on the Pat Metheny tour, and uh, his bass player Ben Williams uh, came up to me and said, man, will you play Shadowland on this tour? 
I, you know, right. and, and I, I, I was sitting at the piano when he said it, and I, and I went right into it. Darkness is definitely falling, you know, and he's, oh, my mm. God, yes, keep going, just go, go, go. Mm. Well, I never did get around to it because Sonny and I were in a um, little crazy, mirthful Mary, mm. Mary Prentice's uh, <laughs> <laughs> boat there. Uh, but, uh, but uh, yeah, so it just it just kept coming around to me, and uh, and so so yes, I played Shadowland, and it got such great response when I would play it. Of course, nobody had ever heard it. It's right. difficult for me that most of the best songs, the, the standard audience, they've never heard them. But so often, especially if it's a ballad, a sort of a pretty thing like that, just anyone would react to it, and so yeah. I kept on playing it. And are many or any of your songs? kind of a, a stream of consciousness thing that starts on stage. I mean, I, I, I listened to oh, yeah. s- songs from 20, 25 years ago or concerts that you've played. And I thought, he's playing Spider Fingers or he's playing King of the Hill from way before uh, uh, Hot House came out or, or Spirit Trail came out. So uh, it's, how many now, of them? Right. Now, now, I don't know. Now, King of the Hill was born uh, in, in a... Uh, uh, the sound check at the Al the Albini Club or whatever in uh, in 1995, uh, in my in my European tour, oh. European solo tour. I think it was 95. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it was 95. And then I did one in 2004, and not since. And then a couple of <laughs> British dates. Uh, sadly, but uh, uh, yes, uh, the Spider Fingers riff was this thing we used to go into in the middle of Jacob's Ladder in the old range days when when our bus driver, driver Dominic Placco, who looked like uh, a big brawny Mr. Clean figure. Are you familiar with the, with the figure Mr. Clean? It's I a, believe I am, yes. Okay. <laughs> he used to come out and dance on that. Okay. okay. We'd go into that, which was basically just a sped-up version of the James Brown sex machine riff. Right. Get on up, you know that thing. Yeah. And so, so that was that was I when uh, when I got this idea to write a song about this piano <laughs> technique of repeated notes, uh, and I just thought, well, I like that. Let me just use that. Look, you, uh, I steal from myself all the time. Right. I steal. I steal from others too, but I steal from myself too. I remember hearing from Elise actually after one show, um, she was moved to tears. I think by something you did this uh, year. No, I'm thinking a long time ago. I think you were in Seattle. You did with Mandolin Rain, which became the minor key version. Yeah, of, right, of exactly. Yeah. And well, she said she, she said to me for weeks afterwards, "You've got to find a recording of that. Have you got a record?" And I never did. And then. All of a sudden, it became a regular feature, and, it, and that's a brand new song that that it sounded. I don't know if it was the first time you did it when she saw it, if it was Seattle or not. But um, well, it might have been the second. It was born in Medford, Oregon, at the Brit Pavilion, sometime in 2002 or three, during the middle of a jam out of Big Rumble. So we're in that we were in that D minor mode, and all of a sudden, slowed it down, and it just came to me, and I went into this virtually fully formed on the spot which is a rare moment doesn't happen to anybody very mm. often but it and uh everyone on stage got chills when it happened and uh when i played it for ricky a couple of years later and i thought it would be great for our skags hornsby for our first record 
Mm. He just instantly went, "Oh my, my lord, we have to, we have to record that one." So, <laughs> so that um, that be- well, yeah, that, that that was a stream of consciousness that became, uh, yeah, a finished product on I think more than one release. But some of your most malleable songs, I'm thinking like the Valley Road or yeah, of course or, that's the most that's certainly the most valid. yeah no. or Jacob's Ladder as well. Do, do you yeah. do you see uh, anything else, uh, another song like that in your repertoire that that you you can do? You plan ahead and think oh, I can do something differently with resting place or something. Do, do you see anything else in your in your folder of work that you can change up as much as you can those two songs, or do you even write anything again or arrange anything deliberately to to make them so versatile? Or yeah, I don't know. I guess it's, it tends to be the old ones. The hoary old chestnuts that uh, that tend to get reinvented just because since they've been around for so long, you get a little bored with it. But with mm. them, and you you're looking to to break out. You know, resting place. It's resting place. For instance, is a song that's that's occupied a very comfortable place. It, it uh, never overplayed. You know what I mean? Mm. It's all it's regular. It's regularly played by our band. But for instance, it's not on my solo list. It, it's funny. I have virtually. Two exclusively two two lists the solo yeah. concert lists and the noisemakers lists are almost completely exclusive from sure. each other they, they, they do not intersect you know which is and I kind of like that I, I just realized it wasn't something I was trying to do but uh, for instance the solo concert is where you're going to hear more of the ruminative more of the, the uh, songs more of the the slower songs the, the hooray for toms you know right. Sad yeah. Moon or Night uh, on the Town. Yes, yeah, Sad Moon, right. But yeah, Shadowland, for instance, or Halcyon Days. You're more, more likely to hear that, where the noisemakers thing, by the very nature of the gigs, it's more of a party. Mm. And, you know, when you've got Sonny Emery and J.B. Collier playing drums and bass, <laughs> man, yeah. you're you're kind of screwing everybody if you if you keep the tempos too low and, and not grooving, you know. Just, so... Mm. Uh, so yeah, I don't know what the, I've gotten off the, off the train of what we were talking about. Do you get a different audience for your solo shows than you do for your band shows? They... Oh, I think so. Yeah, I think it's this. Well, I guess I kind of hope it's different, uh, in the sense that to me, once again, they're very different modes of expression. One is a party, generally, and one is uh, is more of a I don't know a, uh, an attempt at as I guess I said. Look, the, the Noisemakers gig is, is seriously an attempt at deep musicianship. But the solo concert, by just the mere fact of it, of its, of the, that it's just one person up there, that the left hand is the band, that, as you know from seeing me play with the Noisemakers, a lot of times I'll just, just get up and walk around yeah, while they yeah. play. You know? Yeah. You know, I, can, I have such freedom there, but solo piano is a completely different thing. And so that's a really, that's, that's a serious attempt at deep musicianship, and so uh, the, I, I hope the audiences are different because uh, I, I want the I want the band audiences to be rowdy. Yeah. But and I but I, and I ask a lot of my solo audiences because I want them to be very effusive in their excitement and their in their uh, enjoyment level. Uh, but I want them to shut the hell up when I want them to be quiet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Switch <laughs> the phone off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and just yeah. So. But I'm frankly, so I'm really lucky, and I like to thank my solo audience for really being that, because they really have. They they used to be 
times in the earlier days of solo concerts when I would I would have to just stop playing. I'd pull a Keith Jarrett moment, you know, and yeah. and just stop. And my standard line became, hey, I'm sorry, but one or two things is going to happen here. Either you're going to be quiet or I'm going to be quiet because I'm just too old. I don't care. I'm just, I'm just yeah. too old and jaded. <laughs> I just can't, just won't put up with it. You know, I understand that someone is not ready for that level of, of attention, and, and I, I get it, but I just still... I don't want to deal with it. So, no, I, but, I, I but, can, but, but I what can. I'm saying is that, is that the, the 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 solo audiences for the last year or two, I've done a lot of solo playing in the last couple of years. They have been really fantastic in that in that they they're quiet when I want them to be and they're rowdy when I want them to be. So I, I just I like to thank that audience. Yeah. And I and and I'd love the noisemakers audience to be even more rowdy. <laughs> 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 but but they're but they're pretty rowdy as it is, and I like that. We we all like that. How's your hand holding up, Bruce? I remember you you were having problems with your right hand and over through overuse. Yes, that's right. It was uh, exactly it was an overuse injury last May, and that was really a problem. If I'd, I I if there, there were about two or three weeks in May where I wouldn't have been able to play a concert had there been one booked. I was lucky that there wasn't one booked. Um, so yeah, it's 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 good. It's good. It's it's fine. I was just practicing for about forty five minutes before you called. You're listening to the Bruce dot com podcast with Sa Twenty. Yeah, I, I enjoyed seeing that Kathy was was uh, uh, is now in the Hall of Fame. I'll have yes, to that. yes. It, it, well, I'll tell you what that is. It is people who um, I don't give anybody any suggestions. I just yeah. say. Uh, uh, I just say uh, anybody who wants to throw out a name, do do that to me anonymously, and if the name sticks or if enough people say it, then uh, we'll put them in. And we just like to give people recognition. So, um, well, just for the record, she did, that, that Chesapeake Bay p- picture is not her. She didn't take that. Oh, she didn't. I thought she did. No, no a guy named Bob Llewellyn took that. Robert Llewellyn, a, a well-known at least was he was then well-known Virginia photographer. Okay. Uh, took that. No, Kathy wasn't really a photographer like she's become in the last eight ten years. Back then, and uh, she, I love what uh, she does now. She sends she uh, she's a, a great critic of the stuff I try and do. She, she's really helpful. But yeah, we yeah. we like to give a recognition to to people who kind of help uh, on our scene. And there's there's her. There's Rich Dyken, who's uh, yeah, Rich Dyken. I haven't heard his name for a while, but he's a talented guy. He certainly is. And Dave Rich, who's over here. Uh, Dave uh, has his own band. He's uh, contributed to uh, four different. Uh, cover projects we've done of your work. Oh yeah, he's he, he's 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 delivered some. He, he's uh, he's uh, created some nice uh, covers on these these records, hasn't he? Yeah, and pretty bold choices as well. Black Rats, he did. Yeah, yeah, love it. Yes, uh, he, yeah. he he did a great job. So yeah, we we like to recognize uh, every yeah, uh, the start of every year, and uh, that's good. And those people were uh, well. We hope they like it anyway. I'll tell you what else I saw on TV, actually, aside from Daffy Duck, just to round us off with uh, some bizarre TV connections. Um, yeah, I should probably go here in a minute. So yeah, That's okay. Um, college basketball was on, and I, by complete chance, caught some LSU, and there was Keith. And uh, uh, the, the, we have ESPN over here, or whatever it is that covers the yeah. college basketball. And uh, <laughs> sure enough, the, the commentator said something like, Keith Hornsby shoots for three, and and that's just the way it is, or something like that. Something. Do you get tired of hearing that 
Oh, they're incredibly clever, aren't they? Yeah, it's so lazy. <laughs> <laughs> they're, so, they're so creative, those guys. Yeah. No, you know what? I'm just, I'm just numb to it. I, I, I couldn't care less. Uh, you hear it every game. Hopefully, at some point, it'll go away. Yeah, and, and lots of times it does go away. They just talk about him, you know. So that's well, that's that's the the idea, isn't it? Since he's playing, it seems disrespectful. Right. But yeah, yeah, that's right. And so, uh, yeah, it, it, and I've seen other announcers rag on these guys, saying, "Oh, come on, you know, get a little more creative." <laughs> enough with the same tired line. Right. Because it, what kills me? But you know, I still have people who come up to me and say that. Hey Bruce, hey that's just the way it is, man. You know, <laughs> they just and they they just think it's they're just so proud of themselves. Nobody's <laughs> like, thought of that one before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I just you know I just go okay, yeah, way to go there, a nice job, and that's hilarious. And <laughs> you know, I don't you know I'm not gonna I, I don't care really. You know it's it's okay with me. Well, we've gone for an hour, Bruce. Um, that was, that was easy. That was quick. As I say that, I realize to anybody listening, that won't be an hour because I'm immediately going, going to go and delete part of this conversation before I <laughs> I have one last little uh, little uh, quiz for people. If, 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 uh, if some of the, the listeners have kids and so are aware of Disney movies, I did two cues for the latest Disney animation movie. It's called Planes, Fire, and Rescue. Okay. Recorded it with with their orchestra out in L.A. back in I guess uh, in in early May, and the the film came out in July. And so I guess the 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 trivia the quiz is which are my which cues are mine? Which are the, if someone happens to be watching it with their kid, see if they can pick out which ones are 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 the piano of uh, the Bruce piano. Okay. <laughs> so I, yeah. I will. Uh... I will uh, try and think. I'll put that on the site and see if I can come up with a prize for anybody who can uh, who can come up with an. Planes, fire and rescue. Yeah, the prize can be uh, four free tickets to one of our gigs or the gig of their choice. Oh, well, there you go then, straight from Bruce. So uh, I will uh, put that up. Just, and... just for fun, why the heck not? You know. Sure. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Bruce. Again, I always appreciate you giving up your time. And, uh, I always appreciate what you do, Spy. Thanks so much, and I uh, hope to see you soon. I hope to see you at some of the crazy gigs this summer. Thanks for listening to the Bruce.com podcast. Stay tuned to Bruce.com for the latest on Bruce Hornsby and the Noisemakers, solo concerts, and all upcoming projects.